Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. Bill Spohn is president and CEO of True Tech Tools and much more. He is an entrepreneur who's willing to listen, learn, and cooperate with an eye towards bettering the world in small and large ways, and really in any way that he can. He is involved in so many interesting things that we jump straight into questions, followed up with a discussion about what he calls his capstone project, a net zero energy modular home that he and his wife built. This is yet another fascinating conversation that I hope you will enjoy. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, what are you doing now uh, with True Tech? Sure. Uh, so thanks, Robbie, for uh, inviting me to your podcast. I just had you record on my podcast, so I'm like uh, a little confused here, which that's building HVAC science, if you're interested, listeners. Uh, so True Tech is a, a reseller of tools and test instruments for home performance, energy audit, and HVAC. The larger part of our business is HVAC. It's, it's a larger marketplace out there. So been in business since 2007. We carry 100 different lines of products, 100 different brands. Probably about 20 of them are more more popular than the rest. Stock them, we ship them from uh, near Akron, Ohio. Got customers in all 50 states. Wow. Are you based in Akron? I'm not. Area, I'm actually. I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, okay. uh, and I, I've been doing the remote office thing since 1999 when I worked for Testo. I worked for them for 10 years and was their first remote employee. And just as TrueTech started to form before I joined them, they were located in near Akron and just felt like didn't need to uproot it for me. So we built the business there and I'm a, a remote remote owner, remote president. So how did you get into tools? I know that you're a professional engineer. What was kind of your pathway from professional engineer to owning and running a company? I, th I think there was always a, something inside me that said I run, wanted to run my own business, I would say from the late teen years in through college. And actually when I left college, it was like, I think I'm gonna be involved in energy. I really involved, I like these physics classes, the heat transfer. Uh, I, I love those little projects and I don't know where this is going to go, but maybe that direction. And then I also used to involve like, like reading popular science magazine and sort of their succinct descriptions of scientific topics. I'm like, dang, I, I'd love to be an editor of popular science if I could when I'm growing up. So got a degree in mechanical engineering, worked for Eastman Kodak company on uh, designing and testing parts for high-speed copiers, then worked for Fisher Scientific and got sort of introduced to the world of instrumentation, uh, and then worked for Backrack for 10 years. And that's where my introduction to HVAC products came in. So I was design engineering manager. So I had to know like what was on the customer's nines, what was on the market trends, that kind of thing. Uh, and just sort of to apply that, that to, to fan that ember inside me of I like to explain things to people. I'd like to teach. So I started doing that as an engineer to the marketing team at Backrack. And they're like, hey, we want this dude at all our sales meetings. Nice. So I got to see like this, a bigger world than maybe most engineers would get to see. 
and thought, well, this this topic of business is really cool. So I went on from there to a company called Superior Valve for about a year and a half, learned a lot more about business transactions, HVAC, and then um, landed with Testo for about 10 years. So that'd be 1999 to 2009. Uh, and, all, and Testo was more like a product management, but also business, business metrics, KPIs, that kind of thing. I'm like putting this whole thing together in this big stew in my head and saying, wow, this is really cool. And then one of my employees, fellow employees at uh, Testo, part-time employee, Jim Bergman, he was working there as a technical advisor. And he and I had this frustration with the products that were the, uh, the HVAC test and measurement products weren't getting utilized by a lot of contractors. We felt like they're missing out on doing lots of good work. What's a way we can get it there? And it's, it's true by education, but it's also by focus. So we decided that there was this gap in the market for a national company that could focus on tools and test instruments. And that's how the idea of TrueTech got started. And you're doing education as well through TrueTech? True yeah, so we, we Jim's a great educator. He's he's now the the founder and he, he manages MeasureQuick, which is a whole it's a it's a software suite to enhance uh, HVAC measurements, documentation, validation, things like that. Uh, so he had he was actually a, an educator at a, a local like trade school group, and then he was also a writer and an author. And I would always love doing presentations, so we just kind of like continued to do that and. And as we started TrueTech, TrueTech act, acted in those ways more like a manufacturer of products than like a distributor. Like when we go to conferences, we don't really see technical conferences. We don't see other distributors getting up there on the stage and doing technical presentations. It's just sort of like it was baked into our DNA and now it's part of the DNA of the company. Your your focus is on uh, tools. Uh, which tools do you think you're you're uh, selling and educating the most about? Uh, I would say it's on the HVAC side and it's primarily on air conditioning and to some extent like a secondary on heating, but on air conditioning in terms of validating system capacity, system performance, and, and also preparing a system, checking it for uh, vacuum tightness, properly evacuating it when, when a repair is needed, recovering the refrigerant from the system. And, and even into now, we have tools that help you uh, swedge, flare, uh, bend pipe, as well as press tools, which are new to the U.S., popular around the world for decades, of actually, instead of using a flame to braise line sets together, you can actually press them with uh, special fittings. So it, it's continued to expand and evolve. Yeah, and you're not physically selling things, you're you're running the company, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think I sell things, <laughs> like by doing this <laughs> podcast, but uh, true, yeah, the company's now, uh, we're about 28 people. So we're, we've got structure, as you might expect for a company that large. I we We've also, we did over 25 million in sales last year, and, and we've tracked on the Inc. 5000 list for seven years. We've made that level of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. So in order to do that, you have to continue to build. But in those early days in 2007, it was it was a part-time hobby for Jim's dad. You know, by 20, 2009, we had maybe four or five people working for the company and just continue to grow from there. Yeah, interesting. 
I see in, I guess on LinkedIn is where I saw it, uh, that you're also a consulting engineer and an expert witness. Uh, what is that part of your, your work? Sure. Back in 2006, it was actually, I was trying to convince a contractor who did uh, heat exchanger testing uh, and heat exchanger defect training to use one of the Testo products. And he was like, no, no I, I, I don't believe in those kind of uh, inspection scopes and things like that. And I'm like, you got to take a look, got to take a look. So I just, I was politely persistent with them and formed a relationship. And then when he came up with a case where he had to look at heat exchanger defects, and it was more than just the mechanical, but it was sort of like, well, what are the pressure differences? What are the air flows? What are the um, mechanical differences here? And uh, he said, hey, want to join me on this case? So I formed uh, an LLC separate from TrueTech to do this consulting work. And I think I've worked on four or five cases since then. And a lot of them are bound by confidentiality. But it's, it's interesting work, sometimes pouring through thousands of pages of documentation uh, and then using you know, good engineering and physics to, to form a theory uh, and even do some testing uh, to prove a point. So you're building off of your engineering background. Did you also do work in the HVAC industry? Not really, no. Not I mean, really. until uh, I got involved with Backrack HVAC, uh, I probably thought it was meant something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. interesting. And then uh, you're hosting two podcasts. Can you tell yeah. us about your podcast. Sure. So one of them is uh, Res Talk, which is for ResNet, and that started after I started doing my own. I started doing my own in uh, two, 2017, uh, and that was at the suggestion of Brian Orr, uh, who runs the HVAC School and HVAC School podcast, and that whole tremendous network of. Uh, resources for HVC and now building science uh, individuals. He wanted, he actually wanted to form a network of different podcasts and he invited me to do one and said, you know, you've got a different approach to things like more scientific than I'm going to be. And uh, you know, some different people in the field. So, uh, so I started that and I, I ran it sort of consistently for about a year. And then I, I, I got sporadic for about two years and then I picked it up again I want to say in 2022, I really started to try to hit that cadence of every week, every week, every week. And the the listenership's gone up now because I think people are looking forward to say, what's this crazy guy going to talk about next? <laughs> Who's yeah. he going to have on the show? So that's, so I've been doing that. And in the process, it was sort of like the, I had to search for my own guests and my own topics. And I was like, you know, sort of going through my virtual mental Rolodex and I invited Larry Zarker and Steve Baden, like uh, within the first 10 episodes, both of them, because I thought, oh, these are executives and, you know, areas of interest to me and to my potential listeners. And after I did it, uh, did the podcast with Steve, his marketing team were like, oh, this is cool. Um, can you help us figure this out? So I did. And I guess because I'm an engineer and I, my nickname is Overkill Bill, I, I like over explained how to do it. And they're like, uh, can we hire you to do that? <laughs> so that's how I do the Res Talk podcast. Yeah. So the, the Res Talk, I think I have a pretty good understanding that it's focused around issues and people that are involved in, as you say, the, the ResNet ecosystem. 
Right. Uh, so all the people that are involved with the Residential Energy Services Network. Uh, your HVAC podcast, what what kind of things, what's forming kind of your your episodes? What is there is there like a commonality of things that you're looking for to discuss? Um, I really tend to look at things that are interesting to me and things that are timely. Uh, so a lot of times I'll just like go through my calendar, you know, come back from a trade show, uh, jot down some notes like, yeah, this person would be interesting, that person would be interesting. And you now anymore, it's just, I'll, I'll just bring it up in conversation, sort of like I did with you. Actually, I was listening to your podcast and I think like right after I finished it, I texted you or, or emailed you and said, hey, why don't we do this? So. Great. Well, and I appreciate that. It was, that was fun to, to speak with you on your podcast. Yeah. And then I also noticed that you have another startup called Duckling. Yeah. Explain what that's about. Sure. I got inv I got some, started to get some questions in um, late 2021, I think it was from a, from a guy who, a couple of people who had started this company with the idea of helping homeowners electrify. And they started to you know, do their research or tech, tech people, they started to do their research and found that, you know, there are a multitude of contractors in there. So they wanted to talk with various ones and they started to get the idea about home performance plays into this. So when they did their research, a couple of people pointed back to me and said, you should talk to Bill. So I started to answer their questions and they kept coming back from the homework I gave them. They just wouldn't go away. So I'm like, this is actually a really interesting concept. So um, I joined formally as a expert advisor to them last fall uh, and then been working with them to help build the product and the product really is it's got several stages the first stage which will be available later this year like around end of november uh, it's a product it's it's a sales tool that will integrate the contractors working on home performance hvac solar uh, batteries ev chargers uh, heat pump appliances, a, a wide range of things, largely with the theme of electrification. Although you don't have to be into electrification to use the product, it certainly does make the whole process easier. And what we hope to do is sort of build a better, better process and also a single place to do the work. And, and we, we used a, an interesting process. There's a, there's a book called Four Steps to the Epiphany by a guy named Stephen Blank. Uh, I think it was written like over a decade ago. And the the founder of Duckling, John Hone, he's using a process that's that's laid out in that book. Uh, and it's basically, it's find find your target customers, find their the problems they have, and then work with a small group of them iteratively to solve the problems. And that's what he's been doing. And it's, it's really getting to an interesting stage right now where we've... Um, got five design partners. We had design reviews he, uh, almost weekly, and they they really like the way things are coming together. It, we found contractors that are basically doing this sort of complete suite of upgrades, residential upgrades that you might, that I mentioned there. Uh, and they're using sometimes three, four, five, six different tools. And this would draw it down into one tool that's integrated. So less work uh, for the same kind of performance. Okay. Can you explain what you mean by these five or six tools that they're using and what your system is is trying to do to integrate them? Sure. So it's like some of them may use, um, you know, take pictures at a job site in order to work with their team to do a design 
or to explain to the consumer afterwards. They'll take that and they'll put them into Google Drive. Some of them will do clipboard audits. It literally will be on a clipboard. So that data will have to then be taken and then somebody has to go enter it into some kind of form. Then it goes on to some kind of document. There may be a, you know, a load calculation that gets done that has to be integrated into it. And then they want to you know, keep track of the jobs with the customer. Like, you know, we've, we've given them three proposals. So they end up with many different systems. Somebody in the back office has to sit there and string all these things together and then consider like the impact of rebates, tax incentives, other things added into there, keep all that data up to date, keep all their pricing data up to date, and and then try to um, offer it and then keep track of the jobs. So what what John John's done, he's worked for uh, Uber and he's worked for a company that that's made a similar kind of software for the investment industry called Ridgeline. What he proposed to do is take all these different streams of data and put them into one place and, and just deliver you the information you need to make the decision and to present to the consumer. Very cool. And, and how is it being received? It's being received very well. We have five design partners and I would say about another five interested parties. And right, right now, he, like I said, he's using this process of just being very deliberative. Let's solve a problem for some real customers, get their feedback before we offer them a product. So right now it's it's in the, it's in the software plus the prototyping the prototyping stage. So it's it's displaying how things would look and then as well as the back ends being written to actually try it out. Uh, I think it's being received very well. Like, you know, the, the goal was to eliminate repetitive, tedious, multi-system work. And that's the response that we're getting when we go through the design reviews. Is is your primary company a contractor that is trying to bring all the different services for electrification in house to one one company? No, no it, it really it's it sort of it's um choose choose your own adventure. You know, pick pick from the menu of choices. To, if you just want to just and if you just want to do HVAC and heat pump upgrades and furnaces. Just turn on the, that module and it will bring in your pricing. It'll allow you to take photographs. It'll allow you to do room sizing. It'll bring together a lot of information in one place. If you wanted to layer on another thing like insulation or air sealing, if you wanted to layer on EV charging, you can do all these things and present them very quickly in a multitude of ways to the customer, again, including things like rebates and even financing in, into the process. So like, so almost as quickly as you can think of what you'd like to present differently, you can present that. In my misunderstanding, is it also doing some level of energy modeling? Not at this point. Or HVAC that, modeling? That's a pretty big lift. Right, right now, we're looking at integrating some different tools that are out there that offer interfaces so we could pull data back and forth and, and sort of making that a, a, a step within it. Uh, interesting. That sounds like fun venture for you. I bet it bet it's exciting. And then there are two other things that I noticed that you're doing. One is uh, you're visiting lecturer at the University of Pittsburgh. Is that all with regards to the, their business school or their engineering school or what are you lecturing on? They have a program at this school, University of Pittsburgh, Cat School of Business, called the Consulting Field Project. And that's a project for small teams of students from this class, generally MBA students, and they're given a real world problem from a, 
a real customer. And actually I found out about it and I paid for TrueTech to be one of those target customers in 2018. So we had a group of students come in, we gave them a problem that we sort of like weren't addressing internally or organically, but sort of like a bigger strategic uh, thing. Uh, ours is actually analyze our business and pull together a dashboard of key performance indicators. We didn't know where to go to do that. So gave it to these young, brilliant MBA minds. And in the course of like three, four months, they came back with the solution for us. So I really enjoyed the experience and thought and, and got to know how they set up. And one of them is they have a coach for the team. And the coach is meant to sit back and ask poignant questions, but not give answers. And again, sort of like going back to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I like this business stuff. Yeah. And I thought, I think I can do that. So I interviewed and um, just last, or this spring, yeah, they just took me on to for that for that class. So I'm a coach for the class. It's a volunteer position. And it just, it's like a series of Saturday lectures and then meetings with the students to ask them questions uh, so that they are thinking, you know, proactively and expansively about solving the customer problem. Um, the customer problem we had uh, this year for the first time I did it was as regard to the restaurant industry. So it's like nothing to do with my background, yeah. but it's just sort of like classic business thinking and thinking how, you know, people interact in organizations and things like that. Was there overlap uh, between that problem and the true tech problem that you took to that the group? Not really, no, because mm -hmm. the, the problem was presented was a little different. It was about like employee retention. Okay. Uh, so that was but, but problems that, you know, potentially any business would. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like you almost like the business side of things more than the engineering side of things, or? I am drifting away from that. that that's good observation. And sort of to, to help my drift, <laughs> we, we hired someone at True Tech this year to sort of, I can't call him my mini me because he's like a whole foot taller, but a guy named Eric Kaiser, who I've known for know, like 17 years. So he's going to fill in as, as he grows a company or we call it industry engagement. So he'll be, he's been tagging along with me already to a lot of the trade shows and conferences, and he'll be sort of taking over more of the, that, uh, that role uh, for me so I can focus more on the business. Have you been out there in the public since COVID and out, out at these trade shows and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, we, we went AHR Expo and we went to uh, Brian Orr's HVAC Symposium, BPI, uh, excuse me, BPA had the Home Performance Conference, uh, in Seattle, I was there this spring, and then before that, this fall, that that fall in 20, uh, end of 22. So yeah, been out there, sort of, I, I would say in 2022, things picked up to normal for us again. And that, that's really an important part of getting the word out about uh, the tools that you sell and the, the services that you offer, I think. Yeah, and I think part of it too is, you know, I think it's validating who we are and how we interact with people. Because, you know, seriously, 80% of our sales are through the website. People just look at the digital stuff and take care of themselves. But it's, I think it's still important to have that human touch. That's one of the things we pride ourselves on is having the, the human touch for uh, people to, to engage and interact with us and, and understand that, you know, when we say we're, our, our goal is to help customers and help the industry, it's true because we literally volunteer our time, uh, you know, 
we don't get paid to go to trade shows and do presentations. Yeah, yeah that's too bad that they don't pay us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I at mean, least for actually, the for the presentation part. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you start to twist a few arms. You might be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Then I wanted to ask you about your own home because it seems like you're you've gone through this process of designing and building uh, a house uh, on and I want to me it's, it looks like look, all of this experience that you have and in, in all these different ways have kind of gone into this house. So can you describe what you did with your house and its uniqueness? Sure, and thanks for that. It it is like a professional capstone. When I when I described yeah. somebody else, they said that's it. That's sort of like you know you you graduated by doing this thing. Yeah. So uh, when my wife and I decided we were gonna kind of build our forever home, and where we were gonna build it, and we found a piece of land, we started to like explore the topic of passive house. And as the design for that went along, it seemed like it was starting to get really expensive to to like nail down all those passive house features. Uh, and we took a look at what we really just, our goal is to achieve a, a really nice house where we can age in place that uses as little energy as possible. So we shifted to working with a modular house builder and they kind of picked up where the passive house design was and modified it a little. Uh, and then I hired a friend of mine who's a, he's a HERS Raider energy auditor, local in Pittsburgh, rep major. And uh, he was my energy advisor so he would give them design or coaching on construction and sort of help us through the decision-making process. Cause you know, I'd like, I've worked around all these people, but I'm not one of those people that understands all that from a hands-on. I, I appreciate it. Uh, so I had to like call in, you know, advisors. And I, the other thing I did was I started a Facebook group called Spone Home, S-P-O-H-N-H-O-M-E. Um, it's a private group, but if you search it and find it and ask to join, I'll probably let you in. Uh, anyone who's listening. Uh, and I started to research and started to throw designs up there and questions and look for feedback. And so I had like 600 people giving me advice and on that in that group. Not all of them gave advice. Some of them just came to watch and eat popcorn. Yeah. But got a lot of interesting insights, made some changes in design. And and now I use that, that and a, a blog I have, spoonhome.com, to communicate things that I'm experiencing. Uh, in in this house, so we we built it to one of the targets we had was a blower door score of one ACH 50 or less, and we we arrived at about 1.1, which is really close enough. Uh, yeah. We decided we were going to go with two by six walls with an external insulation layer, but an awful lot of air sealing went in the construction with um, zip wall, and actually all the zip wall fasteners have sealant over them every single had had some sealant put over them. South-facing orientation with solar shades. So we'd get the benefit from the low angle sun in the winter, but be shaded from the higher angle sun in the summer. And try to try to go for the smallest system in terms of HVAC system possible, smallest energy. So we, we have above ground 2,900 square feet and then a, a conditioned basement of 1,600. And I always phrase it that way because, if, you know, so, and we run, all of that on two tons, the two ton air source heat pump. Of course, because of the air tightness, we have an ERV, but we picked a conditioning ERV that actually has a heat pump in it. So I have like six heat pumps in the house. Okay. I guess let's start with the ERV. What's yeah. a, a conditioning ERV look like? And who, uh, who yeah. are there many people that manufacture those? I would say there's two. One, one is Minotaur, 
and I have the owner of Minotaur coming up on my podcast soon, okay. uh, Alex Degagne. Uh And the other one is uh, Build Equinox. It's called the Serve 2. Yeah, okay. So uh, that's the one I chose. I actually had Ty Newell, the founder, uh, on my podcast before a little while ago uh, to talk about that. But that's, yeah, that's the ERV we use. It's got sensors in it uh, to monitor CO2 and VOCs. And you can set it either to run on time by like switch remote switch actuation or by sensor signal. So I have mine set to when the aggregate CO2 level goes above 800 ppm, it runs until it gets it down to like 700 and then lets it coast back up. And so it does what a traditional ERV does, but adds conditioning elements as well for yeah. the heat pump? Right. There's a one-third ton heat pump inside of it. Uh, so the air exchange is not just through sort of mechanical action, but it's actually deliberate with the refrigerant circuit in there and filtration. Does your traditional two ton heat pump not keep up with the house and that's and so you're using the the serve to to get that extra load or is it no just it, make the two ton system not work as hard i guess I've, I've used it when it was really cold and i needed more heat but i have not used it for the cooling aspect the the, okay. the serve i've you know turned it into recirculate heat mode which you can and then it it's actually it's it's separately ducted too so I have a HAC ducting and a V ducting, and and they don't. It might, the concept I have, uh, which probably isn't an original concept, but the, the shell contains the air, the V provides fresh air, and the HAC heats and cools and filters that fresh air. Yeah, yeah, and in general, it seems to the ventilation portion seems to work better when that's independently ducted. Are, are you seeing that? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's got a different purpose in life. Yeah. Yeah. Are you using it also to exhaust bathrooms and kitchens and absolutely. Yeah. So the uh, kitchen laundry room and bathrooms are the, and a uh, sort of a, a remote closet area are the uh, exhaust areas for the serve and the supplies are bedrooms in my office because I talk too much like this podcast. Yeah. And then kind of last question there is, is it ducted with traditional hard duct or do you, did you use something like the Zender flex duct systems or um, how, this how is it is hard, hard duct with like flex to get around a couple things in the um, H HAC system is by Detson and they have these two and a half inch insulated spiral ducts they call the smart duct system and those are actually built into the walls of the house in the modules the four modules before uh, the house was assembled and then they were dropped down into the basement and the uh, hard hard pan ducts were run and then little saddles were put on to connect those so so i'm familiar with the that too okay and what tools did you sell yourself to to test these systems so, of course, thermal imagers that have been doing a lot of that, wandering around the house, uh, especially in the wintertime, to get some signatures and really not picking up a lot of uh, thermal bridging, uh, which is really good. Not not even a couple degrees. And we have like one of the other things was something I learned from Robert Bean was about mean radiant temperature to, to make a, a home that would be a great place to age in place. 
and we've got really good control over the mean radiant temperature of the walls and even the windows because we did use passive house windows uh, so triple pane tilt turn type windows all over the house although i did bump up the solar heat gain coefficient 2.39 because i wanted to get, grab that extra uh, winter sun energy so that i could because I, I knew the challenge for us would be heating with a with a heat pump because of our climate zone. Yeah, yeah. So you said you built the structure out of the zip wall system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the zip wall system. What's that? Oh, sure. So that's it's impregnated OSB. Uh, it's I think it's made by Huberwood. So it's it's meant to have you know, permeability under control for both air and for moisture. I, I, I'm not like an expert in that, but I just knew, yeah. you know, my energy advisor said, check, you want to get that. <laughs> so it's two by six walls on 24 inch centers with uh, unfaced fiberglass bats in between because the modular factory would not do spray foam um, yeah. because of the nature of their construction practices. Uh, and then followed by the zip wall, followed by an inch and a half of uh, uh, ex extruded polystyrene that's uh, taped and you know fastened and stapled and taped all the way around uh, and then a, a weather resistive barrier and then we actually used uh, vinyl siding uh, and we were able to build it so we didn't need an extra rain screen because the zip we used two inch nails for the siding and the, the uh, insulation you know we built up was an inch and a half so we were able to sort of hit all those points and, and be a little economical on that. So you zip when you say zip wall, it's it's not a system that comes from the manufacturer. It's it's that you're using zip sheathing as as the primary sheathing of the Yeah. Yeah. Th th thank you. Yeah. Zip sheathing and then using their tapes and their rollers. And then we added the extra air sealant over the fastener heads to you know, try to, at the, at, you know, the critical point of construction, get yeah. as many details as we could right. So we, we yeah. paid the factory extra to do that. Yeah. And does the factory always use uh, zip sheathing or do they have different panels? I, th I think they are purchase? more now. Um, so we did our project in 2019 with them. And from what I understand is they're headed more in the direction of energy efficient modular as a niche market to pursue. Mm -hmm. So I think they're doing more traditional and they've gravitated in this direction. I'd like to think we were an influence in that and kind of like yeah. showed them it's really easy and get really yeah. great results. Yeah. So you, you built a, a two by six uh, panel. How, how big were the panels that came out on site? Um, they weren't panels, these are full modules. So full this module. is uh, for, uh, 14 by 11, 14 wide, 11 tall, 64 feet long modules built in a factory, wow. loaded onto a trailer and trucked up to the site about 80 miles. Okay, and so it's a single floor and the module would be put on top of the foundation. Yeah, so uh, actually it was um, manufactured foundation by a company called uh, Specialty Precast. So they're panelized foundation and the first floor was set over that and then a second floor was set over that. So everything was engineered. And we have a very large uh, open space. It's like 14 by 17 by 22 feet, just a huge volume uh, in the, the main room of the house, the, the living room. Uh, and that was all engineered structurally and also engineered with, you know, uh, 
materials that were cut away once the house was set, but for you know structural integrity during the construction process and then the transportation process. Oh, interesting. Was your builder familiar with this construction technique and uh, how easy was it for them to work with these panels and, and modules? So they basically do almost all their work with this factory. Okay. So they were like, they're a modular home builder. So, and the, the reason we found them is because we started to look for passive house builders. So we looked with a regional search who's, who's been trained and they were trained as passive house contractors, passive house architects, passive house designers. They hadn't yet built one that was fully passive rated, but they had attended all the classes, you know, working with the local groups. So they, they understood that that was the key thing. And we didn't ask them to build passive, but like leaning in that direction, strong lean in that direction. Yeah. Anything else uh, unusual about, about the home or? You know, we built, uh, we had site built on, on a, a detached garage so that we could keep all the garage stuff away from the living space of the house. We have on-site solar because we're fortunate enough to be able to get three acres of land. So we have on-site solar, which uh, we originally put in a 12 kilowatt system and we just added 3.8 to it. Uh, it just got turned on like last week. Uh, so we, we did over, we did 102 kilowatt hours yesterday generation. And fortunately in Pennsylvania, we can net meter. Uh, so that's just making our meter or net meter beautifully spin backwards. Do they pay you at wholesale? Um, they asking. pay at cost of generation oh. and they remove like distribution transportation costs from it, which, which I think is fair. Yeah. Like they don't, you know, they don't know us for that. Uh, we also have, there's only a few states that do this, but solar renewable energy credits, SREX. Mm -hmm. So Pennsylvania does have that. The, the market is closed. The borders are closed. So it's only Pennsylvania generators like myself can only trade uh, within Pennsylvania with basically the utilities. But we're doing, and this is per megawatt hour, we get um, around $40 per megawatt hour generated. Okay. So can you explain how that works, what, what the REC is and how it, sure. how you're trading so, it? Yeah, it's a renewable energy credit. It's a commodity. And this the way I understand it is the utilities are required by law in Pennsylvania to have a certain amount of their energy portfolio generation from renewable sources uh, each utility is and and then a certain amount of that is from solar so if they don't install that themselves they can buy the the generation on in their system from someone else so the fact that i'm generating solar and in, in using it or putting it back on the network i can sell them that credit okay. and so it's traded, it fluctuates in price, and now it's around $40 per megawatt hour. And that is a value that you get to sell repeatedly, or do you sell it once? Or I, I have to report my power production meter from the array. So just yeah. report you know, the dial position to a third party who takes a 7% commission to manage the veracity of my claim and trade it at the best rate in the next month. Oh, so it's a monthly trade. Yeah, I, I could I could wait up to three years to trade it, but there is a window on it. But I'm I'm just like I'll just do it monthly. It's easier. Okay. And it's kind of fun to like. Yeah. Punch in yeah. Those numbers. 
I'm sorry, one more question. You yeah. so you can trade it monthly for up to three years, and after three years, the credit goes away. Right. Yeah. So SREX generated more than three years ago are no longer valid. Okay. So if if the price was ten dollars a kilowatt or ten dollars a megawatt hour for an SREX, you know, 2020, and I waited too long in 2023 to trade it, that's a loss. I'd, so interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you're really happy with the results of your capstone project i'd say so yeah and i am continuing to you know do do a few more things like we're, we're going to get an ev here soon very soon uh and literally I, I put an ev charger like finished the wiring last night uh for it uh, in anticipation of it coming uh, it's on order and that was the reason for the additional solar uh was to um to prepare for the usage they have there uh did you choose a car that can also power the the house or uh, just a normal EV, I guess. You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a it, Fisker Ocean. Uh, it's Henrik Fisker's kind of second or third time around at, at building a company. But I've been, you know, watching it closely and actually got to meet him in person at an event and uh, track the company and be receiving one of his first 5,000 vehicles that I that's on order. And it does have V. V to H technology built into it, but you would need a, that's vehicle to home. You would need a special uh, EVSE, or some people call them EV chargers, uh, but they're not really chargers. And you would also need to have uh, grid isolation, you know, to uh, power the home or the grid uh, to make sure that you didn't backfeed the grid uh, inappropriately. So it, it's, it'll be a price to pay and uh, somewhat complicated, but I'm interested in pursuing that next. No one has that I know of a bi-directional EVSE yet, but I know of two or three that are coming on the market. And I'll probably stick with my brand, which is Emporia. I uh, really like their their product and just plug my podcast again. I interviewed the founder of Emporia, yeah. Sean McLaughlin, a few years, a couple a year last year. Really interesting person, really interested story and a mission that he has for his company. Awesome. He's Colorado-based wow. too. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard of them before, but I don't know much about the company. Yeah, so I, I'm I was a big fan of his uh, energy monitor, and which That's has. Uh, I've heard about him. Yeah, but he also has uh, home batteries in limited states, which includes Colorado EVSEs for charging cars, uh, bi-directional next year, and also for an AMI meter, uh, the automatic meters with USB slots. He's got a little device that plugs into there and will allow you to monitor like aggregate meter data uh, through his portal. And he's got smart plugs and all kinds of interesting things. So what's next for Bill? <laughs> I would say just continue to work the, with Duckling and True Tech kind of uh, symbiotically. And uh, the, the other thing I'm doing a little bit more of lately is I'll say it's kind of like consumer level presentation because I think, you know, I've worked a lot with contractors and programs getting prepared to help consumers, but consumers need their their interest and their information level raised. So I've been doing some local presentations, different groups and uh, some national presentations to different people like consumer oriented and, and trying to go back again to my popular science magazine thing I talked about and explain yeah. technology in a easily digested way, but also assert personal experience in the process, which I think helps. Yes, for sure. Well, I really appreciate your time. You've done a wealth of things and, and really uh, giving back well to the industry. 
thank as you. well. So thank you so much for for all the stuff that you do, and I appreciate you being on the Billcast. Appreciate it, Robbie, and uh, any listeners, uh, you know, listen to all of Robbie's podcasts. They're good. And we'll put a link to your podcast as well. So appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of BuildCast, brought to you by BuildTank, Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you, for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of BuildCast. You can listen to BuildCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time, be safe and continue to think 0 to 360.